0: Thank you, Kevin and Peter, for shepherding us with the word of the Lord in song and in prayer. Uh, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I was reminded by my family this week that I've been out for a while, so I better make this good. Um, thankful to the Lord that it's his word and his spirit that saves and not necessarily my preaching. And we're thankful for family who hold us accountable the high calling that God has given us. Well, this morning we launch our summer sermon series. And uh, let's see if I can get this here, which uh, our summer sermon series is in 1 Timothy. And it is called God's High Calling for Gospel Leadership in His Local Church. God's High Calling for Gospel Leadership in his local church. And it's based upon the God-breathed words and message of the Apostle Paul's epistle to his co-worker and his true son in the faith, Timothy. What we've been given in First Timothy. And if ever there was a time when we need good leadership, when we need gospel leadership, especially in our church now, Is that time? Now is that time as the world debates how to deal with COVID 19, a failing economy, a nation divided over issues of race and social justice, the economy and politics. And sadly, by extension, we see our churches and our church fellowships divided. Should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Should we get vaccinated? Should we not be vaccinated? Should we gather together in civil disobedience? Or should we scatter all of these things at this time? Fill our social media and our times together and our communication with debate and discussion and sometimes even division. And it just shouts and screams at this time that there is a clear need for good leadership, but very specifically gospel leadership, and gospel leadership especially in the church. And Part of the problem that we're seeing and part of the challenge is that we live in a time and a place where leadership in the lives and the relationships and the ministries of the local church, that leadership in those areas for a long time has been disconnected from the high calling of the gospel. What we sang today about. From the high calling of God's word. Our standards for leadership are clearly low. And too frequently our standard for leadership in the home and in the church and in our politics. Is influenced far more by the world and its pragmatism. What's going to get me the next stimulus check in the mail. What's going to make for a better economy? What's going to keep everybody happy at church? Our standard for leadership in the home and in church and in our relationships so often is influenced more by the world and pragmatism than it is by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like the Israelites, very frequently we desire a king and a leadership like the nations around us. We want all those whistles and bells that we see. That looks good. This looks good. This person turned around this company. This person turned around their marriage. This person got their child to sleep well at night. We Desire a king and a leadership like the nations and like Instagram. And yet, the testimony of God's word and what we've been learning through Paul's epistle to the Ephesians... Is that in His Son, Jesus Christ, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Not some things. Everything that we need for life and godliness. And in Christ, God has given us a leader and a leadership that are infinitely different and infinitely greater Than the leaders and the leadership of this world. That's the testimony of Ephesians 1 through 4. And the testimony of God's word is that without Christ. And without his gospel leadership. In every aspect of our lives. Our parenting, our relationships, our work. Our local church. Without Christ and without his gospel leadership. A local church will never be what God's word has called it to be. Without Christ and his gospel leadership, a local church will never be what God's word has called it to be, which is the good news of Jesus Christ made visible to a world that is dying in its darkness and its sin. That's what the Lord has called us to be. He's called each one of us, our marriages, Our parenting, what no one sees on the outside, our worship. It's meant to be the good news of Jesus Christ made visible. Worth stopping, maybe, and asking our co workers or our neighbors Do you see the good news of Jesus Christ in my life and in my family, my home, and in my ministry, and my worship, and in my life? Is it visible? and what paul does in ephesians 4 through 6 is he shows us that without god's leadership in our lives without gospel leadership a believer a marriage a ministry and a church will never fully know victory over sin and joy in christ and brothers and sisters i believe very much in america so often We see this disparity between what we hear about or what we read about in God's word and what we see in our lives, our marriages, and our worship. There's this disconnect and the the conclusion so many people come to is, well, God doesn't exist. He's failed. It's a lie. It's a pipe dream. When in reality, the issue is it's not God who's leading our lives the way he's prescribed in his word. According to God's Word, we all need His leadership. We all need gospel leadership to become like Christ, to live like Christ, to love like Christ, to forgive like Christ, to die like Christ, and to rise again one day like Christ. God has given us everything we need in Christ To overcome the sin of the world and to find true joy in the worst of circumstances. And of course we see that in the lives of Jesus, his disciples and the Apostle Paul. And it's for this reason that the elders of this church are committed to seeing Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose grow in gospel leadership. All of us, members, elders, deacons, pastors, each one of us. And this is an endeavor that involves, brothers and sisters, all of us. Not just the men who carry offices in the church. We are all part of gospel leadership if we are all children of the one true God. And it involves all of us looking by faith to Jesus Christ as Lord and leader. And hearing what he has to say about his very high calling for gospel leadership in his family, in his bride, and in his body, the church. And this is what brings us to the God-breathed words of the epistle of 1 Timothy. In this letter in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, closer to the end of his ministry and closer to the end of his life, he spells out for a young pastor and a young co-worker who is laboring and, to be honest, being beaten down in a very challenging church plant, he spells out for him what gospel leadership is very, very clearly. And he explains to him how by faith he is to carry it out in the local church in the face of incredible opposition. And he's to do this for the glory of Christ, for the care of Christ's sheep, and for the spread of the gospel. And where does 1 Timothy begin? 1 Timothy begins with a very specific exhortation and command. Not about the picnics. Not about the gatherings. Not about whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks. Not about when or what time we meet. Not about the social events or the calendars. First Timothy begins with a very specific exhortation and command about the teaching in the local church. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Gospel leadership prioritizes Christ's teaching, not man's teaching. Gospel leadership prioritizes Christ's teaching in his church as opposed to man's teaching. A brother once shared with me, and, and he actually shared this in a very sweet way. It was not a criticism. He shared this sort of in an incredulous way. He shared with me, and famously I've shared this with many of you, so you've heard this before. He shared with me, he says all, all we really do at Lighthouse Bible Church is study the Bible. And you know, in many ways he he was correct. That that's a fair assessment. And brothers and sisters, there is a place in church for church family meals. There is a place in church for volleyball and picnics. There is a place in the church for all manner of different activities. But never, brothers and sisters, at the expense of the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if we do not have the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and if that is not prioritized as the most important part of worship and what we do, whether it's teaching through the Word, whether it's teaching through prayer as you heard this morning, whether it's teaching through music and song, teaching in the pulpit or teaching as we sit next to one another, If it's Christ's teaching that is not prioritized in every aspect of our lives. Our marriage, our parenting, our relationships. Beginning and end, brothers and sisters. Dare we say that Christ is really leading our lives in our church. Because as we come to God's word and you read through the gospels. And you look at Jesus' life and how he led his ministry. You'll see that Jesus' life and his ministry here on earth, his gospel ministry, was all about one priority. And it wasn't about church picnics and lunches, not to dismiss that. He did feed 5,000. But all of that, his one priority, as you go through repeatedly, he prioritized teaching... And living his word, his way. Teaching and living his word, his way. And why did he do that? Because he is the holy son of God. Who has come to save sinners from the righteous wrath of God. No small task and no small calling. That Jesus the son of God came. He didn't come to make people happy. He didn't come to solve their immediate tax problems or their political problems. He came to save sinners from the righteous wrath of God. And from the beginning, as we go to Genesis, all the way through the rest of Scripture, God gives life and He saves life one way and one way alone. He saves it by His Word and not ours. God's Word gives life. Our words bring people to death. That's always the way it's been all the way through. And that's why when Christ comes, every aspect of his life, including his miracles and feeding people, it's all a fulfillment of God's word. It's not there for pizzazz or show or to make people feel enamored or to do them favors or make them indebted by what he's doing. He is fulfilling the word of the Lord because it's by the word of the Lord alone that we have life. By the word alone that we are saved from our sins. And where exactly does God's word bring Jesus? It brings him to the cross. And in First Timothy, the Apostle Paul repeatedly commands Timothy to prioritize, to protect, and to fight for the sound teaching of Christ's word. In every aspect of his life. In every aspect of the church. Regardless of the personal cost. And brothers and sisters. You want to know the path to victory over sin. You want to know. The path. To a church. That exemplifies the gospel. Do we really want to know the path of marriages and families that shine the light of the gospel brightly. It's never separate, brothers and sisters, from the battle with our flesh and with the world and with the devil, with our own thoughts and our own desires. It's never, never separate from the battle to prioritize Christ's Teaching and His Word over what we think is best in our lives. The sound teaching of Christ's Word in every aspect of our lives. Why? Because it's only Christ and it's only His Word that truly saves sinners. All other teaching leads to death. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll read through this together as Paul calls on Timothy to prioritize the teaching of the sound words of Jesus Christ in the local church. 1 Timothy 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the un- excuse me, <clears throat> for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him. And deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. At the end of this introduction or this chapter, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy and us a very necessary warning. As he mentions two professing believers who have made shipwreck of their faith, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And the image the Apostle Paul gives us is a ship that's been shattered on reefs and rocks and is good For one purpose and one purpose alone. To serve as a warning for all the other ships that are coming. To stay far, far away from the path that this ship has taken. The question comes up, how exactly have Hymenaeus and Alexander shipwrecked their faith? Well, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy, and you go to Titus as well. You start to see, and Paul gives us the details. But very simply... Here in this first chapter. We see that Hymenaeus and Alexander. Have let go of Christ. And his leadership in their lives. And it's the way we all make shipwreck. Of our faith. Brothers and sisters. Every shipwreck of the faith. Comes when we let go of Christ. And we let go of his leadership in our lives. And instead we embrace another leadership. And typically that's the leadership that we think is best. That's typically our leadership. And the outcome of that decision. In Hymenaeus and Alexander's life. The result is a disobedient life. A blasphemous life. And a blasphemous Witness that ends up being a destruction to them and others. Brothers and sisters, do we really believe God's word alone saves? Do we really believe Christ's leadership over every aspect of our life is essential and necessary? Paul later in 1 Timothy 4.16, if it wasn't enough, and you look at it, he goes over and over and over again, and he's reminding Timothy repeatedly and drawing this connection for him. And in 1 Timothy 4.16, the Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy and commands him. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul brings Timothy back to the preeminence of Christ's leadership in his life. A leadership that is tied to Christ's preaching in his life. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. Gospel leadership humbly submits to Christ's command. Gospel leadership prioritizes Christ's teaching in our lives and in our church. Gospel leadership humbly submits to that teaching. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to submit to it. And that's exactly what Paul was exhorting Timothy to in 4, 4.16 when he tells him to watch over his life and his teaching. Timothy, are you teaching it, but are you submitting to it? gospel leadership humbly submits to Christ's command. And this is where the Apostle Paul spends the better part of this first chapter. This is where the Apostle Paul himself begins in verse 1. He begins his life, his ministry, and his work under the authority and command of Christ Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord. The Apostle Paul typically, at the beginning of every letter, always starts with whose command runs his life. Even as he writes, Paul, an apostle of who? Christ Jesus. Emphatically, he points to the king and the authority. In the Greco-Roman world, an apostle was an official ambassador or representative of a king. An apostle was one chosen and sent with the power and the authority and the message. Not of himself or his friends. Not his personal opinion, but His king. And an apostle's responsibility was simple. It was to humbly carry out his king's command. Nothing more and nothing less. Failure to carry out the king's command in any way apart from the way in which the king had commanded it. Was considered to be treason and a crime worthy of death. An apostle would never dare be seen with a king's enemy, and he would never dare say a word or add to or subtract from the command and the message the king had given him to deliver. In the New Testament, That title apostle was given to a select group of men who had been trained, who had been appointed, who had been saved by the crucified and risen Lord. Men who had visibly seen Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. And they had been charged very specifically to bear witness to his good news and to lead his church. How were they called to lead his church? By a democracy, by taking a poll, by doing a survey, by doing what Jesus asks sometimes, but maybe finding other more effective ways to fill a church. No, by carrying out Christ's command to the letter, always, 24/7. And when the Apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command, he's making reference with his language to a royal decree or a military order that makes it clear who his life, his work, his ministry, his epistle is submitted to. It makes it explicitly clear. Whose power and authority stands behind every word that he writes to Timothy. And by extension to the church in Ephesus. And by extension to every believer who reads this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of who? God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Brothers and sisters, as people look at your life. Is it explicitly clear whose authority and whose command your life represents. When the Apostle Paul addresses Timothy and he calls him my true child in the faith. The Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy and all who read this letter. Especially those who are giving Timothy a hard time. He's reminding all of them that Timothy's life and his leadership like the Apostle Paul's belong entirely to God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, the only true source of grace and mercy and peace. Brothers and sisters, whose command is your life and your leadership submitted to? We think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the example that he gives the night before he's crucified. As he says to the Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Be done. And brothers and sisters, is that the command that we submit to as we think? Should I wear a mask or should I not wear a mask? Are we to gather as a church in civil disobedience or are we to stay home? All of these different decisions at the heart of it, brothers and sisters, do we have a heart that is submitted not to our own freedoms or desires or rights, our constitutional rights? Jesus gave all of it up to be submitted to the will and word of his father. Gospel leadership, brothers and sisters, is about humble submission to the will and word of the Lord. And Christ's command to his people is very clear. Well, what is that command? Does he have a command of what shirt I'm going to wear this morning? Does he have a command of how short I'm supposed to cut my hair? who I'm supposed to hang out with, you're not going to tell me, Pastor Mark, that Christ has a command for whether I eat lunch with my friends today or not. Christ's command is clear, brothers and sisters. We are to abide in Him. And we are to love one another as He has loved us and laid down His life for us. John 15. Somehow we seem to lose sight of that, brothers and sisters, and easily in the discussions that happen on social media, in our debates with one another, In our heated exchanges, we lose sight of the one whose word and command we are to be submitted to and we're to trust as the only path to life and godliness, the only source of grace, mercy, and peace. And brothers and sisters, this is why I think we lack so often grace, mercy, and peace in our lives. People with anxiety, people struggling, and I understand circumstances are not good. But brothers and sisters, the place of rest Is that humble submission to the lordship and leadership of Christ. Do you trust Jesus to make the best decisions for you? Do you believe he's present? Do you believe he will? Do you believe he's capable of making the best decisions for your life? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That brings us to our third point for this morning. Gospel leadership prioritizes Christ's teaching in our lives. Gospel leadership humbly submits to His command. Gospel leadership stands for Christ and His gospel. And nothing else, regardless of the cost. Gospel leadership stands for Christ and His gospel, regardless of the cost. Brothers and sisters, over time, each of our lives is going to tell a story. And it's the story of who and what we stand for. And we may sell a different story to our wives and our children for a minute or a moment. But over time, that story unfolds. And as Dr. MacArthur likes to say, time and truth go hand in hand. And the true story will always come out. And that's because God exposes the story of our hearts and our lives. And in this world, a person either stands for Christ, or he stands against him. And brothers and sisters, every decision that you make is either a decision for Christ or or against him. And the occasion for this epistle, the reason Paul, on a circumstantial level, is writing, that occasion is what Christ had warned his disciples about in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's what the Apostle Paul prophesied to the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. That until Jesus comes again, there will be many in his church. Many, not few, many. Members, deacons, elders. There will be many who call Jesus Lord. There will be many who think they serve Christ. There will be many who will serve in His name. But in reality, they are waging war against Christ. Why? Because they stand for something or someone other than Christ. Could be our work. Could be our career. Could be our families. Could be our ministries. Standing for something Or anything other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the beginning, it may be hard to see. Oh, this person's a great servant. They're there at church all the time, manning the bookstore, they're there all the time, giving people meals. And it's not to diminish those activities, brothers and sisters. We are called to love one another. We are called to serve. We are called to care for one another. We are called to bring one another meals. But brothers and sisters, those are not substitutes for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those are not the same as standing for Christ. And how do we tell? Well, over time it becomes obvious by the fruit of our lives. Is the fruit of our lives love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness? Is the fruit of our lives others around us growing more like Christ? Day by day, is it more of Christ that people see? Even in hard times, even as we are broken, do people, brothers and sisters, see the cross, or do they only see good times? By their fruit you will know them, our Lord and Savior says. And in Matthew 7, Jesus reminds his disciples that sheep will always attract wolves. As my wife likes to remind me, At night, the light always attracts moths and mosquitoes. In every church, and in Ephesus, there were certain persons who were attacking Christ and the gospel. How? Verse 3 and 4 shows us. They were attacking Christ and the gospel by teaching a different doctrine and by devoting themselves to things that promoted Human opinion, speculation, quarrels, and vain discussions rather than the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of certain persons teaching a different doctrine, we typically think of, well, that's, that's Benny Hinn. Okay? Those are those guys who are up there in the pulpit who are ripping people off and promoting healings and signs and wonders. That's crazy town, right? That's Waco, Texas. But here in this letter, when you look at it closely, the Apostle Paul is referring to members, possibly deacons, possibly elders, of the church in Ephesus that was the leading gospel church in the Roman Empire. He's talking about members in a church that he helped plant. And perhaps even members who came to a profession of faith under the Apostle Paul's teaching. These were gospel insiders, not crazy outsiders. And in verse 4 through 7, these were church members who were spending a lot of time studying the Scriptures. They spent a lot of time discussing the Scriptures. I'm sure if you went for lunch with these men, all you would hear about was the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, Scriptures. These were members who spent much of their time debating the scriptures. They lived in our day and age, they would have had a blog. Or you would have felt their presence on Facebook or Instagram. But the word that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 3 to describe their activity is the word heterodidaskalo. Heterodidaskalo in Greek, which means simply, at its very simplest, hetero means different. Didaskalo is teaching. But at its simplest, it's talking about disseminating or spreading like yeast or a seed. Disseminating or spreading like a farmer throws seed. Anything that is different. Anything that is different from what? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy 6.3. Go to the end of Timothy. And Paul spells out exactly what this teaching a different doctrine is. 1 Timothy 6.3, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here with Paul, anyone means anyone. Doesn't necessarily mean the man in the pulpit. Doesn't necessarily mean the man who breaks away with his own church. Anyone is anyone. If anyone... The teaching of a different doctrine here is equated. That word and makes it equal and equates it with sharing or spreading anything that does not agree with the sound words of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's a lot. What comes out of your mouth and mind? As you read the New Testament, this is what Jesus and all his apostles repeatedly over and over and over again identify as the most dangerous attack on the church. Anything that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus responded to as Peter tells him that he shouldn't go to the cross privately and Jesus turns on him and refers to him more or less, is the incarnation of the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because your mind is not on the things of God or heaven. It's on the things of man. Jesus corrects that. It's the most dangerous attack, brothers and sisters. More than swords or guns. Or shutting down a church and making it unable for us to gather together. More than that is from within the church Anything that does not agree with the sound words of Christ Jesus. The most dangerous attack on the church. The most dangerous attack on the family. The most dangerous attack on a marriage. The most dangerous attack in a relationship. And as you read First and 2 Timothy and Titus, the Apostle Paul shows the deadly effect that it has. Anything that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord and Jesus Christ, because this is what these men are sharing, he shows the deadly effect it has on our worship, on our marriages, our families, our ministries. As you read through 1 Timothy, you see all of this has been turned upside down. And Timothy and Titus have to put it back in order. Why? Because this teaching, anything apart from the sound words of Christ, is disordering and destroying all of it, because only Christ's word gives life. Only God's word puts things where they're supposed to be. All these aspects of church life become deceived and destroyed as disciples drink from the poisoned well of counterfeit gospels. As we go back to Genesis 3, God shows us, you don't need a pulpit to teach a different doctrine. You don't need a pulpit to poison a well, but certainly it's far worse from the pulpit, brothers and sisters. But like the serpent with Eve, all we need is a whisper and a willing ear. Whether it be on Facebook or social media or at the end of a church lunch. A whisper and a willing ear to attack and to distort and to destroy someone else's trust in God and in God's word. Genesis 3.1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It's interesting what Satan appeals to. Appeals to our personal freedoms and our rights. What we should be able to do. Everything that we seem to be fighting about in America and in the church. We go to verse 5 through 7. The Apostle Paul points out to Timothy what exactly is behind such attacks. Attacks that come and suggest that there is another way... A life and godliness. What is behind this in verse 5 and 7? It's a heart of pride and discontent that desires something other than Jesus or something in addition to Jesus. The Jesus plus formula. The Jesus here, it's the Jesus plus the law. But you can add in whatever. Jesus plus the family. Jesus plus focus on the family. Jesus plus. Serving in ministry. Jesus plus missions. Jesus plus reformed theology. And the result that comes out of this is a poisoned heart and a poisoned conscience and a poisoned faith that distorts the word of God and attacks God's servant. It's a dual attack. And here as Paul outlines the law and the misuse of the law, he's showing, well, this comes from an ugly heart. You can handle scripture all you want. If your heart is not right with the Lord, if you're not submitted to Christ, if you're not walking with Him, if you don't have Christ's help and His Spirit in your life, you're going to mishandle every text that you come to. And he walks them through the law and he shows ultimately the purpose of the law and God's word is to bring us to repentance from sin and faith in Christ. That's what the entire scripture is all about, brothers and sisters. And these men are misusing it as if it's an addendum or something that you need in order to be saved and in order to be an excellent Christian. And from this place, these men go and they progress and they begin to attack the Apostle Paul and Timothy. And in Ephesus, things were getting so bad for Timothy, he was tempted to run. At least that's the implication of what we read in 1 and 2 Timothy. And by the time you get to 2 Timothy, you see that Timothy is having stomach problems and stomach ailments. And it would seem that Timothy's ready to throw the towel in. Serving Christ in Ephesus is costing Timothy his health his reputation, and his life. So what does the Apostle Paul urge Timothy to do? Does he tell him to take a break? Does he tell him to back down? Don't be so offensive, Timothy. Back off a little bit. They're not ready to handle the teaching that you're giving. Give them a breather. Set the standards lower. Verse 3, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He urges Timothy not to run, but instead to stand firm for Christ, to remain under fire, to hold the gospel line, and in Christ's name to directly confront, challenge, and correct anyone in the church who teaches a different doctrine who disseminates or spreads anything that is contrary to the sound words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With Christ's command, Timothy is to command such people to cease and desist. Brothers and sisters, this is gospel leadership. This is what Jesus did with Peter. This is what the Apostle Paul goes on to do with Peter in Galatians. When Peter. If he's not even saying anything. He goes and sits with the Judaizers. Men who probably similar to what we're reading here. Are enamored with the law. In addition to Christ. And by that very action. And by that sitting. The apostle Peter takes a side that divides the church. And distracts from the gospel. That the gospel is the salvation for all men. To the Jews first. But also to the Gentiles. He's giving a picture illustration. And so. Paul, the apostle come lately, comes to Peter, the leader, and arguably the head of the church, and he goes straight at him and confronts him publicly for walking in a manner that is straying from the gospel and is leading other people astray. Timothy, take charge of the church for the name of Christ by the command of Christ. Timothy, people are going to hate you for doing this. Timothy, people are going to question you for doing this. Timothy, people are going to push back against you and drag your name through the mud for this. Timothy, you're going to have stomach problems because you can't sleep at night because what they're trying to do to you. In the same way, the Pharisees attacked Jesus and ultimately crucified him. Why do we do it? Timothy, this is what Christ commands. This is Christ's example. This is who He is. And this is what it means to stand for Christ, to stand with Christ, to stand like Christ. Why do we do it, Timothy? Because of the high calling of the gospel. Because the gospel alone saves people's lives. This is our fourth point for this morning. Gospel leadership saves sinners with the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel leadership saves sinners with the good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time and era where we're looking for everything under the sun to give us a little comfort to save us. The blessing and beauty of COVID-19 and shelter in place is what we're seeing very quickly, is there's a lot that we have placed our hopes in. That is not saving us. Well, in verse 12 through 16, the Apostle Paul shows Timothy why gospel leadership in the local church is so necessary, why it's worth fighting for, why it's worth giving your life up for. And he does so by pointing Timothy and the church in Ephesus and us to his own testimony, and very specifically, the testimony of his call to ministry and his conversion. The events of Acts 9. As he walks Timothy through this in verses 12 through 16, he shows Timothy and us that the Apostle Paul was exactly what these false teachers were. The Apostle Paul was the poster child of where living by a counterfeit gospel or a a God plus something else takes you. Verse 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul reminds all of us that he was a blasphemer. Probably worse than Hymenaeus and Alexander. He was an insolent opponent who acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was a distorter of the word of God. He was a hateful person who persecuted Christ and Christ's followers. Paul knew firsthand what a life led astray by a counterfeit gospel was. He was, in verse 15, the foremost of sinners. And who or what saved the Apostle Paul from his sin? And who or what gave him a completely new heart and life that was pleasing to God? And who or what put the Apostle Paul in service for the gospel? It was not the Apostle Paul's religious knowledge. It was not his religious service. It was not his experience. It was not his service in the meal ministry. It was not his service at a seminary. And it certainly wasn't speculation, debate, or opinions on some panel. It was one person and one person alone, brothers and sisters. It was Christ Jesus. Our Lord and Savior was Christ Jesus and very specifically the what was Christ Jesus taking charge and taking over the Apostle Paul's life completely stepping in in Acts 9 showing up confronting him and showing him mercy by showing him that the entire trajectory of his life was going in the wrong direction. And was actually persecuting Christ when he thought he was doing good and doing everything right. That was a mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is what Christ's leadership does in our lives. He comes in and He enters our life. And He confronts the counterfeit gospels in our lives. And He does it out of mercy, brothers and sisters. Compassion for sinners. Because He sees the bondage and the devastation in our lives. And the devastation in the lives of those around us. And He has compassion for us. Because we are enslaved in our own self-righteousness. The rightness of our own eyes. We're enslaved Many times, sometimes even in the church, by our own Bible knowledge of what we think the Scripture says. And he comes in and he shows mercy to us as he showed it to the Apostle Paul. What does he do with that mercy? He brings us to the cross. That's what he did for the Apostle Paul. He brings the Apostle Paul to his knees. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you kick against the pricks? And then he blinds Saul and then he leaves Saul and then he makes him wait and he's bringing him to the cross. And the Apostle Paul here shares with us theologically what Jesus was doing. From the outside, it's like, oh, he's making his life so much worse. He's giving Paul a hard time. But the Apostle Paul looks back and shows us. He showed him mercy, a mercy that brought him to the cross, that united his life with the life of Christ, and that filled Paul's heart and life with the grace and the faith and the love of Christ to overflowing where before all that had been from that counterfeit gospel was pride and hate and sin. The Apostle Paul shows Timothy in the church. It's this leadership. The leadership of Christ taking over his life. Making him as a baby. Someone who could not see and needed to be led by the hand. This mercy. This mercy that saved him. And it's this mercy that equipped him with the grace and the faith and the love of God. For the service of the Most High God. And brothers and sisters, this is what we've been learning in our book club. This is gospel conversion. This is what qualifies a man or a woman to serve Christ. This is what qualifies people for leadership in the church. It's to be broken by Christ so that you can be filled with His mercy and His love and His grace. Brothers and sisters, gospel leadership is Christ's leadership. It's his taking over every aspect of our life. And that's what brings leadership and Christ's leadership into our relationships, our marriage, our workplace, our families, and into the local church. Who's leading your life? Not infrequently in biblical counseling, folks will come to me, and the only reason they come for biblical counseling is because something's gone wrong in their life, in their marriage, their relationships, or their ministries. It's not going well. But the truth is, if we're honest, there are those times and periods in all our lives where things are not going well. The only difference is the people who come for biblical counseling are willing to ask for help rather than concealing and pretending that everything's going well. And invariably, what I will do for most is I will ask them to read through a gospel. Why? Because the one thing they need, the one thing they lack, is the leadership of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in their life. So often within the church, we get saved, Christ comes in, we rejoice. And then over time, we become expert servers or expert Bible instructors or experts on the family and a worldview that supports the family or experts in all of these different areas. And suddenly, we become experts in everything. But where is Christ, brothers and sisters? And being an expert in all those areas is a poor substitute for the life-giving presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hearts are idle factories. We so easily, if Satan can't come in through the front door, he's going to come in through the back door, through all these respectable things the family, the family, the family all of these different things. And in a matter of time, it's not Christ who's leading our lives. it's all these Jesus Plus counterfeit gospels. And inevitably the Lord brings hard times or difficulties to those He loves. And our houses, we discover, are built on sand rather than the rock, and they start to fall apart. And that's Christ in his mercy getting our attention and showing us that we need his leadership and that there are areas in our life where we lack his leadership. And as you read through the Gospels, this is what he does every single time with the disciples over and over and over again. He's correcting them. He's loving them. He's showing mercy. And the intent here, brothers and sisters, is not to be cruel or harsh. Jesus is bringing them to himself. So that he can pour into them his love and his mercy and grace. But he can't do so while he can. But he will not do so as long as our cup is always filled with all these other counterfeit gospels, brothers and sisters. And what we find as we go through this path as Jesus comes into our life and he takes charge of our life, is that there's a battle on our hands. And our lives don't get easier. In fact, many times they become harder or more difficult. Why? Because then, brothers and sisters, when Jesus takes charge of our life, that's really when we're in the gospel battle. And This brings us to our final point and our concluding point this morning. Gospel leadership fights the good fight with the good news of Jesus Christ gospel leadership fights the good fight with the good news of Jesus Christ invariably in these counseling and shepherding times people go through this phase where they're angry with God they're angry with the counselor they're angry with everybody it doesn't make sense to me why is it so slow it's not working it's not happening and so often it's because we're so far out of our comfort zone. Because the way of the world is, you learn the right way. Everything's smooth and easy and everything's good. People are happy, chicken dinner. Everything's good and sweet. But what Paul brings Timothy to at the end of this section, as he comes back again and he exhorts Timothy, and he shows Hymenaeus and Alexander, he says, 118, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. Reminds Timothy, this is a battle worth fighting for, Timothy. And if you walk down this path, if Christ is going to lead your life, you're going to be involved in a fight. But it's a fight worth fighting for. Because it's the gospel and the gospel alone that gives God glory. It's the gospel and the way it saves sinners. That alone shows that God alone can save us. Not our words, our efforts, or abilities. And brothers and sisters, that's the place where the Lord has to bring us. He has to bring us to that hard place where we realize nothing I can do or say or pray is going to give me deliverance over sin or change me. I need Jesus in every aspect of my life. And it's then, brothers and sisters, in God's time and in His way, in the middle of that fight, where we realize we've got nothing to offer, nothing to give. We can do nothing to better ourselves, our marriages, our families, our church. Many times, brothers and sisters, that's when we begin to see the light. And see how precious and beautiful and good and glorious and merciful Jesus is. Because he alone is willing and able to save sinners like us. I'll close with this thought. The Lord made, in his good wisdom, Julie and I wait for a long time before marriage came our way. We had no idea whether we would be married, we had no idea whether we would have children, we had no idea whether we would ever have a family. And in many ways we'd given both of those dreams up and said we'll just serve the Lord. We'd rather serve the Lord than get taken down a path that's going to take us away from that. But in God's due time, he blessed us. And when our children were born, Ethan and Joshua. Brothers and sisters, we were both overwhelmed. But we held those children tight. And we celebrated and rejoiced. And when they came, our lives didn't get easier. Our lives got a whole lot harder. There was a lot less sleep. There was a lot more, shall we say, disagreements to work through. There was a lot more unity to pursue. Things were a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging. But through each of those challenges, one thing we did do, we tried to look to Christ and we hung on to those children really tightly. And we were incredibly particular about what happened to those children, what went into their lives, how they were taught or who handled them. Why? Because those were precious gifts from the Lord. Miracles that we did not deserve nor were worthy of. They were worth the hardship, worth the difficulty, and they were incredible responsibility that we were not going to neglect or leave to someone else. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ and the life He has given you is that and so much more. It is everything. And we need to hold on to him tightly. We need to protect what he has given us. We need to shepherd and steward that. We need to realize our lives will be more difficult. And the sorrows will be great. But the joys will be even greater. Why? Because he is the son of God. Who has come to save sinners like you and I. Brothers and sisters. Who is leading your life? And what are you fighting for? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are precious. You are a gift that we do not deserve. Our lives need to be led by you. Our church needs to be led by you. Our relationships and our marriages need to submit to your commands. And Lord Jesus, it's because you are an amazing hope. You are greater than the sin of this world. You are greater than the sin in our lives. You are greater than our idols. You are greater and sweeter and better than anything this world has to offer. Lord Jesus, enable us to let go of the petty things of this world so that we might know you and enjoy you to the fullest and share your leadership with a world that so desperately needs it.